we wish you welcome. Also our listeners, we wish you welcome. And we pray that the Lord of peace, Jesus Christ himself, will give you his peace, no matter what today looks like and what today is like. The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you all. Amen. We're in the latter part, the last part of Matthew 17, chapter 17, the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 17. And the verses 22 and 23, we're starting out with, and it says, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. So the Lord again is trying to prepare his disciples for his approaching, his coming closer, suffering and death and his resurrection. This is the third time that he talks to his disciples about death and resurrection. The first time was also in Caesarea Philippi, after Peter had given his dramatic and sincere confession of remember when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, as we find in Matthew 16, verse 16. And verse 21 in that same chapter says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. So it was again now also in Caesarea Philippi in Galilee, this after the transfiguration when the Lord said in verse 22, chapter 17, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. At this point, they're on their way to Jerusalem when he mentions this again. But as we see, all that the disciples can do is feel sorry. As it says, and they were exceeding sorry. So the result was that when the Lord did suffer and die, the disciples had been given the chance to prepare themselves somewhat, although they had been giving little attention to the Lord's words. And when at last it did happen, they were confused and unsure and still taken by surprise. In verse 22, we find the Greek word, sestrepho, and it's used here, which means gathering together. When they were gathered together, also the word means to twist together, or to, then to gather together. So while they were there in Galilee, the setup of the wording used here may be indicate a preparation for some kind of a message or statement. As we see that the Lord did say to them in the verses 22 and 23, the Son of Man is about to be delivered uh, or shall be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him and the third day he shall be raised up. 
Stanley M. Horton in the Complete Biblical Library writes, the passive, the passive shall be betrayed can very well imply that God's hand was behind the entire plan. And he quotes Romans 8, verse 32 from the Living Bible. It says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And see also Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded and bruised for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was lashed, and we were healed. And Isaiah 53, verse 12, Therefore I will give him the honors of one who is mighty and great, because he has poured out his soul unto death. He was counted as a sinner, and he bore the sins of many, and he pled with God for sinners. And Romans 4 verse 25, he died for our sins and rose again to make us right with God. Now this time, at this point, at this point in time, the Passover feast is coming closer, during which the Lord would be crucified. And he's literally telling his disciples that God will hand them over to die for the salvation of mankind. He tells them that he will be betrayed by his own friends into the hands of his enemies, and Mark, he records this in Mark 9, verses 30 through 32. It says, They departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. See, the Lord always puts that behind it. He will rise. He will rise. They kill him, but he will rise. But they understood not, verse 32, that saying. And they were afraid to ask him. Luke also writes, in Luke 9, the verses 43 through 45, this from the New International Version. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, the crowd, he said to his disciples to decide, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand what he meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. This time, none of the disciples did protest as Peter did earlier. But still, Scripture records that the disciples were exceeding sorry. As we find in verse 23 in Matthew 17. So on the third day, the Lord Jesus would be raised from the dead by God, by the Holy Spirit. 
that third day was the day of resurrection. Look at this glorious scripture in Hosea 6 verse 2. It says, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. That's very apropos. Exodus 19 verse 16 records the day of God's appearing as it happened much earlier at Mount Sinai. You probably remember Exodus 19 verse 16. On the morning of the third day, is the third day again, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. Sure. That was also on the third day. G. Campbell Morgan in the Gospel according to Matthew comments that the disciples' sorrow arose not from sympathy but from their lack of understanding of both his death and resurrection, which makes good sense. While R.V.G. Tasker in the Gospel according to St. Matthew reasons that the sorrow is because of the statement that the Lord Jesus would be betrayed. Good point, too. John F. Walford in Matthew, Thy Kingdom Come, a commentary on the first gospel, writes, The shadow, the lengthening shadow of the cross is beginning to stretch over the incidents that were to lead Jesus to Jerusalem. And after these incidents, they came to Capernaum for what would be the last visit before they went to Jerusalem where the Lord was to die. So now we are going on to verse 24 through 27 in chapter 17 of the Gospel of Matthew. The tax collectors who were collecting the temple tax, they came to Peter because neither Peter nor the Lord had paid the tax. Verses 24 through 27, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Does not your master pay tribute? Of course he does, Peter replied, assuring the tax collector that his master would pay the taxes or the tribute. Peter took it for granted that the Lord had paid temple taxes all along and perhaps knew this from earlier years. Anyway, when he got home, Peter found out that the Lord already knew what, he, what had happened on the road, and even he started talking about it before Peter could even bring it up. Verse 25 out of the NIV, the New International Version. So when Peter came back into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? from their own children or from others. Saying this, the Lord started Simon Peter thinking about something else, much more pertinent than taxes, and to teach that he, the Lord, and the disciples were sons of the great king. 
to read in Matthew 5, verse 35, Jerusalem is the city of the great king. And the rationale was that if servants and priests of the temple were exempted from this temple tax, how much more would the Lord, who is greater than the temple, be exempt? See, Matthew 12, verse 6, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And Horton writes, he was not compelled to do so. This was an example of deity condescending to humanity. That's nicely put. So when the Lord asked, from whom do the kings of the earth, the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, from their own children or from others? And Peter answered, the others. The Lord replied, well then, the citizens are free, verse 26. By stressing that the children of the heavenly kingdom are free, the Lord showed that he would be and was submitting to the tax of his free will and on purpose, and that he, as ever, was taking his place with regular people, like you and me, no special rights, while giving in to the very same people who in a few days' time would make him suffer and kill him. So was the Lord teaching Peter that denying self and submitting to others was a good thing and was part of carrying one's cross and that it was the way to the cross for the Lord. And that in the end, Peter would find out that God would cover the cost of his yielding, his compliance, his good-naturedness, that God would cover that cost. Verse 27, the Lord said, however, we don't want to offend them so go down to the shore and throw in a line and open the mouth of the first fish you catch. You will find a coin to cover the taxes for both of us. Take it and pay them. Now this incident is recorded only by Matthew maybe because Matthew used to be a tax collector, he was interested in this situation. Horton writes, some commentators find difficulty in accepting this verse as saying of Jesus. When they read that Jesus performed a miracle to fulfill his obligation, they feel that what he did was not worthy of him. And some would explain the verse this way. Jesus urged Peter to catch a fish and sell it in order to pay the temple tax. If that were actually the case, it would have to have been a gigantic fish for him to sell it for four days' wages. That's what it was going to be. As some commentaries say, the tax amount was for two people. So this view is clearly unacceptable. And Horton writes, the most obvious and logical example explanation is that Matthew did indeed 
relate a miracle performed by Jesus, only the one who knows all things knew where the fish would be. Only the Almighty Lord could arrange for the fish to get caught on Peter's hook. And Jesus demonstrated by his omniscience and omnipotence, which further demonstrated that he fulfilled his obligation to pay the temple tax, not as a slave to the law, but as a son of God who stands above the law and the temple. A silver coin such as the one in the fish's mouth was worth about four drachmas, exactly the amount Peter and Jesus together needed. Apparently, Jesus had been prevented earlier from making payment. Jesus paid for Peter. Peter, the representative of the disciples and the representative of the church. Horton writes, and he quotes Matthew 16, verse 15 through 19. It says, He saith unto them, Who say ye that I am? The Lord asked his disciples. And Simon Peter answered, we know the answer well, and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Once again, Horton writes, Jesus was illustrating that the church must follow his example and do its civil duty. And this would demonstrate not only its love for the people, that the church would demonstrate its love for the people, but it would be a witness to the world. We read Matthew 22, the verses 15 through 22. We see where the Pharisees took counsel how they might entangle Jesus in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore... What thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Matthew 
And when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Vernon J. McGee in Through the Bible writes, his method of getting tax money was certainly novel to say the least. Now our Lord demonstrates that he has recovered all that Adam lost. Goes on to explain his reasoning. The creatures were obedient to him, to the Lord. The fish as well as Peter followed his command. McGee writes, I believe that God had given to Adam that same dominion over all creation, but he lost it at the fall. And McGee quotes Genesis 1 verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And he continues, in the transfiguration we see man restored to his original purpose. In the episode of the tribute money, we see man restored to his original performance. Thus McGee. And even though some commentators have trouble with this verse, with the fish and the coin, and have tried to explain it because Matthew does not finish the story, they, they say it seems obvious that Peter caught the fish with the money in its mouth and paid the tax. Is that possible? Well, Elijah was fed by ravens. And what about birds? Like the little sparrows. We read in Matthew 10 verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? And while two bears defended Elisha's honor in 2 Kings 2, verses 23 to 24. As to Exodus 30, verse 13, and Exodus 38, verse 26, all males over 20 years of age had to pay a half shekel of temple tax each year. Dragma or shekel. In 2 Samuel 24, the verses 4 through 9, such a census is recorded. And the collection of this special tax started in the areas outside of Jerusalem, in the suburbs outside of Jerusalem, or the areas, and ended in Jerusalem ten days later, just before the Passover. And remember, it's just before the Passover at this point in time where we're talking about. After the, destru the, the destruction of the temple, the Romans kept collecting tax for the temple, but this was the temple of Jupiter, the most important temple in ancient Rome. Yes, the Pharisees were eager to catch the Lord in breaking the law of the tribute, the tax. But at this point, having Jerusalem ahead of him, he didn't want to make a small matter important. The Lord didn't want to. And we have here the miracle turn 
of events of it all and the lesson we learn from it. Peter's hasty reply to those who received the tribute money. Does your master pay tribute? Oh yeah, Peter said hastily. And we see Peter surprised by the Lord who knew Peter's heart and the question that had been asked him. And he knew the answer Peter had given. The Lord was expecting him, was waiting for him, calling him Simon. Notes that. Not, not Peter the Rock. And asked Peter, whom we call Peter, from whom do the kings of the earth receive the tribute? From their own sons or from strangers? And Peter gives the correct answer, from strangers. Well, then the sons are free. The sons are free. In this answer we see all Christ's glory revealed. He is the Son. He is Jehovah, whose glory had appeared in the temple. But we see that the Lord speaks not only for himself, but also of Peter. He says, we. And when the money miraculously was provided, it was to be for me and for thee, for the Lord and for Peter. The Lord who is free identified himself with his disciples, with with his disciple, with Peter, who, as we read earlier, was shown to be the representative of the disciples and every believer. Christ is the Son, and we are sons with him. He is free, and he makes us free. If therefore the Son shall set you free, ye shall be free. Indeed, ye shall be really free. Arno C. Gablin in the Gospel of Matthew writes, Again we learn that this Jesus who speaks here is God, is God the Creator. And as such he manifests himself. He is a practical illustration of Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And Hebrews 1 verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He knows the deep sea, for he made the sea. He knows the mysteries of the deep. Nothing is hidden from him. 
He knows the coin at the bottom of the sea because the silver and the gold are his. As he spoke before to the restless sea, the wind and the waves obey him. So here, the deep obeys his voice. A creature of his is there, a fish, and he commands the fish to take up a piece of money. And he brings the fish to Peter's hook. Omniscience and omnipotence are here, which belong to God, and God is present. And this Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He who knew the fish and commanded that fish to take the coin and guided it to Peter's hook is our Lord with power in heaven and on earth. And in view of such gracious and wonderful demonstration of his power, the heart cries out, Oh, why do we not always trust him fully and in all circumstances? Why are we not always thankful for all things? Why do we not even run to such a Lord whose grace and power is all for us and always trust him for everything we need and want. So this was the Lord's last visit to Capernaum where he had lived for so long and where he had ministered to so many. This time, his visit lasted only for a day. And nothing out and open in public really happened. He was only with his disciples here, gathered together. The world needs to know through believers the self-denying love of God that sent his Son to the cross as a willing sacrifice. And those who understand, let them bring the message. God bless you.